Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. I want to take the time to thank our supporting partners who make this podcast possible and this month that's the Strength Factory and Kotick. One of last year's most popular episodes was with Ben from the Strength Factory where we talked about fitness for the everyday rider, a conversation that was based around their over 40s mountain bike programme. If you've not heard it yet, then you can find it at downtimepodcast.com forward slash everyday dash fitness. It's that time of the year when a lot of us are thinking about being fitter, getting leaner and getting quicker on their bike as a result. Unfortunately, most people set off with good intentions, but don't stick with it because they've gone too hard too soon. The Strength Factory's Over 40s MTB program isn't some crazy plan that promises abs in two weeks. It's an achievable 20-week plan which is designed to fit around the ups and downs that life throws at us so that you can stick at it, be consistent and see and feel the improvements. You can do the program at the gym, but you can also do it at home with just a few resistance bands. So whatever life throws at us in 2022, you can keep going and be in the best possible shape for when summer rolls around. So if you want to be better this year, then head over to thestrengthfactory.uk now and check it out. That's thestrengthfactory.uk. I've been riding Cotix for a long time now and I'm a massive fan of their bikes, but I also love their approach as a brand. Cotic is a small company who are focused on their customers and doing great things for the sport. Their customer focus has been even more important during the pandemic. With parts in short supply, Kotick will do everything they can to help you put a bike together by offering rolling chassis builds so you can swap over good parts from your current bike. They'll even let you send them parts that you've sourced and they will build them onto your shiny new bike for you. With Kotick, it really is your bike built for you. Give them a call and you'll get to speak to an actual human who will help you through the process of getting your dream build ready to go. Also, with UK manufacturing of their suspension bikes, they often have stock when others don't. What you might not know is that Kotick put half a percent of their turnover each year into trail building, maintenance and advocacy, and a lot of their staff help support dig days in the local area. Over the past few years, they've supported the Tweed Valley Trails Association, Ride Sheffield, Totley Pump Track and Bowl Hills BMX Track. Kotick are keen to show that a little can lead to a lot and to encourage all of us to donate to and support our local trail organisations. So why not take a look at how you can help out today? If you want to find out more about Kotick and check out their awesome bikes, then you can head over to kotick.co.uk. There's a couple of other things I'd like you to check out too, and the first of those is Downtime EP. A collaboration with Miss Spent Summers, Downtime EP is Mountain Biking's newest biannual print journal. If you want to get your hands on some amazing journalism surrounded by incredible photography printed on beautiful paper, then head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP, where you can either subscribe or purchase a one-off copy of the first edition. Secondly, if you want to help support what I'm doing, then you can grab yourself some Downtime merch by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, shorts and joggers and it's all organic, made with a supply chain using renewable energy, printed to order and shipped using no single-use plastics. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Don't forget to make sure you're following the podcast wherever it is you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and means you'll never miss an episode. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. It'd also be great if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always lovely to hear from you there. Okay, today I'm catching up with Ben Cathro. In 2021, Ben made his return to World Cup racing and did an awesome job by qualifying and taking some great results at the final round in Snowshoe. We find out about his season and get his thoughts on some of the other goings on, both on and off track. Hear about his How to Bike video series and his plans for the Pink Bike World Cup race team. 
Find out what it was like beating Reese Wilson and hear Ben's thoughts on the health of our sport. Ben always has some great insight. So without further ado, here's Ben Cathro. Ben Cathro, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Uh, really good. It just caught me at the end of what I was going to be my first training day preparing for next year um, but I discovered a lot of falling down trees so uh, ended up doing no riding and a lot of tree shifting. Uh, I was going to ask about that you're uh, you're in the thick of it up there after the storms a couple of weeks ago was it yeah it's two weeks ago now I guess how how is the situation where you are? Uh, we're pretty lucky where I live uh, in Pitlochry it's like in in a valley um, so the wind does kind of get sent over the top but near the top of the hills there was a few trees down but uh, like where my parents live, uh, uh, they've had just decimation. They live right on the east coast, wow. so uh, yeah, it's uh, we've gotten off lightly. So the tracks are still rideable. We can still ride. I've seen yeah. in the borders and stuff like everything's shut. It's just wild. Yeah, it looks like it's going to take a while to fix some of that stuff, and it's pretty unsafe. I think where it's where there's a lot of windfall, can't even yeah. let people in the forest. So it's crazy. Yeah, not ideal, but no, I'm. I'm good. I can go out. I can ride. Good stuff. And yeah, last so last time we spoke, you were kind of on on the back of having broken your neck, basically. So tell us a little bit about what the recovery process has been like, kind of getting over that and getting back on the bike. Didn't realize it was that long since we chatted last. Um, so I was pretty lucky like with the break. It was just uh, one of the locating pins and one of my vertebrae that I cracked. So no big displacements. Uh, but the thing that did cause issues was one of my discs uh, had a bulge. So it's like a donut shaped, like soft kind of pad between your vertebrae. And it had bulged inwards and towards my uh, uh, spinal column, like the, the big pack of nerves that runs down through your spine. And that was giving me a lot of pain in my arm. And uh, it was really bad uh, through the recovery. And then it was just a nuisance for like the six months after. Uh-huh. So I just get random shooting pains down my arm. And I kind of felt like that was just going to be a permanent thing. Uh, but it did eventually settle down. And now I feel like I've got no repercussions that I can tell. Like I've got full range of movement, like looking either way. And uh can move my head around and there's no pain from the site where it's broken the only issues i get are when my muscles get all tight because i feel <laughs> like an old man <laughs> <laughs> that comes to all of us anyway man. Yeah. so like did that just sort itself out or did you have to do some specific physio and stuff it or just sorted itself out they did like the doctor said the bulge should just go down over time and luckily it did because uh, i guess where it happened because i know with pe- some people get it uh, like in their lower back where they slip a disc which is pretty much the same thing um because there's so much pressure down there it's very hard for it to recover because mine was up near the top of uh, my neck so i guess there's less pressure there so it was it was able just to settle down so it's all good now yeah happy days how did you go about getting back up to speed did you find any kind of fear there when you got back on the bike because although you've been I guess relatively lucky. That's a scary injury. Yeah. I, I did wonder if there would be any effects. Um, I think it did take me quite a while to get back up to speed because I got to a point where I could ride my bike again. But like I was saying, I still had that nerve pain in my arm and a bit of an achy neck for a while. So that was a very <laughs> apparent reminder that my neck maybe wasn't quite ideal yet because I, I actually got back on the bike too soon. 
Okay. So um, for the kind of injury I had, they they say the bone should heal in the normal amount of time that bone will heal. So like say you break your arm and they'll be like, right, six weeks in a cast and then do what you want. But at that point, the bone isn't actually hard. It's not like proper dense. Like if you land on uh, like a broken arm again, you can re-break it or displace it or, and things like that. But it's, it's rare. Um, then with my neck, they said the bone will heal in that amount of time. But if you were to land on it again, because you now have a weak point in your neck, if you were to land on your head again, the chances of you then severing a part of your spinal column is increased. So don't. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, right. So I waited, I think it was 10 weeks and got back on the bike, but it was still a bit sore. I had that bulge in my neck because uh, my goal was to try and race the World Cup in Lousa in Portugal uh-huh. in 2020. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember riding my bike. We filmed it all as part of the Walk the Talk series we were filming that year. And uh, like, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to race the World Cup. And then uh, the day after, I, I could barely move my neck and kind of called it off immediately after that. And then that's when we panic planned for what videos we were going to do because uh, we were three episodes, four, no, yeah, four episodes into the eight episode series. Yeah. So that's when I had to like panic plan, try and find a privateer that maybe wanted to ride my bike, but no one was tall enough. And then we're like, oh God, what else are we, what can we do? And then we ended up helping out Jamie Edmondson and uh, Michaela Parton and then the Zvar brothers in Maribor. And uh, yeah, we made, we made something of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It turned out, turned out all right. So I guess, you know, you're coming back from this, uh, this neck injury You've had a lot of lost time, I suppose, but wanted to get back racing World Cups again in 2022. How mm. did you go about that? Did you have enough points already at that point? Like, what what did you need to do to get to a World Cup in uh, in this year? So you mean for uh, for this year for 2021? Yeah. Um. So I didn't have any points, and no one did really, because uh, there hadn't really been much racing. Um, so the, only the people that had managed to get to the World Cups were able to get any points because there were no points races because uh, lockdowns and everything all got cancelled and stuff. But they put a freeze on points from 2019, I think, because there was okay. no races. So uh, I ended up, I carried over four points, <laughs> <laughs> which is not enough because you need 40. So uh, I knew... Uh, I wouldn't have enough points. So what I did was I just applied for a GB jersey. So three riders from each nation can be granted a jersey to race if their national federation believes they're good enough. They look at like their results nationally to decide if they should get one. Uh, but really, they're designed for people who are younger riders that have just come up from the younger categories and don't have points because they're new to the sport and they want to help them to then hopefully do really well. Yeah. So I'm... Um, a little bit out of the the kind of <laughs> scope of what they're really for. So I applied for one and I didn't get it for the first round. Um, but then there was more lockdowns happening around that time and some people pulled out of racing. And right at the like last minute, they said, oh, we've got a jersey for you for uh, for Maribor, I think was the first round. Okay. Like, Amazing. That's, that's brilliant. And then they were like, oh, do you want one for snowshoe as well? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll take it. 
Um, and it just ended up, I thought I was going to do no racing that year. So I hadn't been training. I'd just been at home looking after the, the new kids because um, my wife was back at work after maternity leave. So just in daddy daycare all pre-season. And then suddenly, <laughs> do you want to race a World Cup? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll panic train for two weeks. Sure. <laughs> Let's go. Quality. You've done a bit of racing there, right? You went to the UK National Champs, which... I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say it was a pretty stacked field for 2021. Yeah, that that was my kind of planning for 2022 race. I was like, I'll, I'll grab some points uh, to just kind of help my cause kind of thing. And uh, it was like the hottest weekend in the UK. <laughs> like it was melting hot, like down in Wales in the valleys. And usually it's grim. And it was like, do a run, sit in the river, do a run, sit in the river and cool off it was it was grim uh but it was really good fun yeah how's the track it's really fell in yeah uh yeah is that is that just the the welsh name for bala or does it get called bala as well i can't remember i thought Riddifelin and Bala were two different things, but I I maybe don't know because i'd never been there before okay that was my first time riding there so i probably don't know i'm I'm not sure mate but I do know it was a really good fun track, uh, really fast. It, the hill had been like a lot of it had been clear filled, so really quick track. Um, a very hard one to kind of get a gauge on. Like uh, I remember thinking I was just absolutely flying. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do really good at this race. And we did the seeding run and I was like 24th. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I thought it was going really quick, so but I guess I just hadn't been racing in so long, and I hadn't ridden the track before. So, uh, yeah, um, the next two practice runs on the race day, I remember just going right, just don't break, just <laughs> crack on. You know, you think you're going fast, you're really not. Just go faster, and I uh, proceeded to blow out like nearly every turn. But I got a good gauge on how fast you could hit stuff, and then had a a pretty good run from a race run. Um, a few mistakes because I was going so much quicker than I had in the season run. I mean, I got really tired at the bottom, but um, I can't even remember how I finished. Was I like 15th? 15th, yeah. Yeah, so no, I was pretty happy with that because, yeah, there was a lot of fast riders there. Not all of them, not like the full quota, but everyone in front of me was a World Cup racer, so um, yeah, happy with that. Definitely, yeah. See, are you not the sort of person that will tag on to – a fast rider to try and get up to pace and stuff. Do you prefer to ride your own kind of practice? I hate following people. Okay. I can't stand it. I don't like not being able to see what's coming. Um, every time I've followed someone fast, um, I usually have a crash because <laughs> I, I just stare at their back wheel and then get all messed up. And I remember putting myself in hospital trying to follow Gary, Gary Forrest down a world cup in Spain because he was good. he got a really good top split in qualifying. I was like, oh, I need to follow you down that top split. And his back wheel didn't go in a straight line. And then I crashed on like the, the first turn. <laughs> Smashed my hip into a rock. I thought I'd broken my pelvis. And then uh, they didn't take my insurance. And I still get invoices to this day from that Spanish hospital trying to get Seriously? me to pay for my x-rays. <laughs> Whoa. They're persistent. So, uh, yeah, I don't like following people. And um. <laughs> When it comes to racing, I'm really, I don't know, I think I march to my own drum when it comes to racing. I don't really, like, 
ride with others and stuff. I'm a, I'm a real loner. <laughs> I like just do runs by myself and then like chat with people at the bottom kind of stuff. Cause I like to stop and session stuff. And I hate feeling like I'm making someone wait and stuff yeah. like that. I just like to do my own thing. Fair play. And you've got one other um, British national series racing, I think before your first world cup of the year. So you were in Leithen national. I think you took second place to Roger Vieira mm-hmm. and beat uh, some local up and comer called Reese Wilson. You must've felt pretty good about that. <laughs> so the results sheet, uh, hides a lot of story there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, the na- the national champs there was there was loads and loads of fast guys but at the the one in early thin um there was maybe four four world cup riders or so so it was a, it was a much like more depleted field so uh but beating reese was cool and the reason that happened was because he didn't come to practice okay he went golfing <laughs> <laughs> there was a competition on a golf competition. I think him and Rory Cunningham were playing in it. So yeah. I know I think no, I think he did the, the practice day before, but then it rained really heavily and he missed the morning practice where the conditions had just completely changed and he just turned up and did his race run. And it's like he he was going to beat me and then he crashed in like the last turn. I was like, oh, that's just ridiculous. That's like, insane, isn't it? It hadn't it was a, it was like a completely different track. It was pretty, his practice was was worthless, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, fair play. That guy's really found his form. Like every little clip I see of him on Instagram, yep. riding a downhill bike, just blows my mind. He seems so connected with the bike, Composed. so at one with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, impressive yeah. to watch. He's like he's always had flashes of that. Like I can remember one of the first races I saw him at when he was on. I think it was like. A bike he'd borrowed off Rory Cunningham, and it was at like A Forest and Dumfries at a national, and there was this really fiddly, awkward, rooty section. And he came in, and like other riders were like all tense and filling their way through, and he just didn't flinch, pulled up off something that wasn't there, gapped over a load of stuff, and it was just like so effortless, and then binned it in the next corner. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, he's always had the bits and pieces there to, to kind of put it together but it seems yeah. like it's everything around racing like his his training and his preparation and he's kind of got his head in the right place now and he seems to just be really enjoying it and going very fast mm, definitely yeah he's an impressive rider for sure so yeah your first world cup for a wee while then was maribor 2021 how did it feel to be back not the uh not the slowest of tracks to ease your way back into world cup racing I was really excited because um, it was my favorite track from back when I was racing a bit more full time. And uh, I was so excited to get back there because the way I remembered it was it was just like a flowing pump track all the way down. There wasn't too much braking, wasn't too much pedaling. You could just get in a rhythm and just flow your way to the bottom. And then we got there and <laughs> it wasn't a pump track anymore. It was... Uh, just breaking bumps and motor whoops and stuff all the way down. It was so blown out and rough because I think they'd had three races, no, two races in the run-up. Uh-huh. They'd had the IXS Cup and then the uh, European Champs the week before the World Cup. So the track was pretty haggard. Um, so it was still fun, but it was so physical, so physical. Um, really beat beat the body up. Um, you were just like, 
trying not to get swallowed by holes the whole way down. But it was still a really fun track, just a physical one. Um, and uh, it was a dual round, so they had like two tape sections and they had some fresh stuff as well. The, the fresh bits were like my favourite bit. They were so good. Reminded me of like when I was racing there back in the day and it was a little bit less <laughs> violent. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I was really, really excited to get back and I, I just wasn't really that stressed about it because I was thinking, I've, had, I've done no prep. I've been really lucky to get here. I'm just going to have some fun. And it was really good fun. Really enjoyed it. What were, what were your kind of expectations, I guess? Were you putting any pressure on yourself? <sighs> yeah, I think it's hard not to. Um, definitely like felt like I was going fast enough to be able to at least rack up some points. Um and it it suited me because it wasn't too long. I think the especially when you've not done a proper off season of training, um, the shorter tracks are definitely a bit more favourable. Like I couldn't imagine going to Val de Sole after doing <laughs> no prep. So uh, yeah, I felt like I was going to do do not too badly. And I'll be honest with you, I can't actually remember how I did it that one. It was you didn't qualify. Didn't qualify, right? I've probably blocked it from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, yeah, I've definitely blocked it from my mind. I can remember Snowshoe quite well, but uh, Maribor, yeah, I can't even remember how far back I was. I think yeah. I must have just packed up and left. So you're still in a position where you like that's disappointing enough that frustrates you. You, you, yeah, you're packaging that up and getting rid of it from your mind you've, you've still got that competitive spirit in a big way oh yeah i don't think anyone ever loses that anyone that's competitive even people that don't compete but still when they're playing monopoly at christmas and they're still getting really angry and aggressive about it and you're like oh no no i'm not competitive at all <laughs> as they're stealing money out of the bank it's um you don't lose that at all so although I'm coming in with a more relaxed mindset, so I'm not getting as stressed, you still want to do well. Um, but I have less pressure now because uh, my career isn't pivoting on the result I get that weekend. It's it's a lucky bonus that I'm even getting to race, really. So there's not much, there's not as much press pressure. So I would say I'm not as maybe worried if I don't do well, but mm-hmm. I'm still disappointed and I'd want to do well because yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the best thing about competing is when you surpass your expectations. Fair play. Well, there was a, a bit of a break between Maribor and the next round in Lenzerheide and, and that break was filled with Varasol world champs, mm-hmm. which uh, you were obviously there covering for, for pink bike and creating yeah. content and stuff. What, well, First of all, talk us through the track because they've made quite a lot of changes to it. It looked very different. There was a lot more or even more rock in the track by the looks of things. What was it like from from your perspective being trackside there? It looked tough, really, really tough. Um, I I think it's the most physical track. Um, When you're watching from the, the live feed, you don't really get a sense of scale. Um, so it looks rocky, but it's the size of the rocks. Like a lot of people talk about Fort William being super rough and super physical, but that's more just chatter. 
like the kind of vibration kind of like physicality that you get from Fort William. Whereas uh, in Val de Sole, it's, it's just massive boulders and it's like full, full body exercise, just trying to work your bike th- down the trail. Like we, we rode it afterwards and I could barely get down the thing. Like the slower you went, the harder it was. It was brutal. Um, and the new sections they'd added in, it was just where, it maybe got worn down a bit bit too much and they just uh I wouldn't even call it bike parked it. I mean they they they, manip- they made some man made sections, but no bike park gets made like that. It was just like the Italians must have just been like, Where's the biggest rock? And they find it and then just flip and dump it in the middle of the track and like, Yeah, job done. Nice. <laughs> Go for a coffee. It, looks- it was oh dude, brutal. Yeah. Like, and I, th- I think it is open to the public. So, if anyone wants to go out there and have a look, because there are some excellent tracks kicking around about it, go and check it out because it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And some pretty unbelievable racing, too, as well. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. I couldn't believe that. We'd never, I would never have called that. Just like, he's always there and there, there or thereabouts. But, wow. Get it's it's inspiring for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, get we, we're running out of excuses, eh? Yeah, <laughs> there's ah, he is the exception to the rule, one hundred percent. Yeah, you wouldn't have predicted that even seeing him on track that weekend. Then, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I remember was it two years, two years prior, three years prior, where he was on for winning the the season, and it was the final round. Just remember, he was just on another level watching him in practice just the speed he was carrying through stuff and uh it looked similar uh champs yeah uh, just passed he uh he was cracking on and you can see you can see he knew he had it in him but then uh you know, we were talking with him afterwards and i remember him saying he didn't think he was going to be able to hold on on the final jump like he was like he was so ruined uh that's what he said the left-hander before you come out the woods he said he hit that and his arms gave way and he was like i don't think i'm going to be able to hold on in the final drop but he was like this has been a really good run we'll just go for it (laughs) it's an impressive commitment because if you're coming off on that drop it's really going to hurt isn't it oh dude yeah no way so i mean i it seems like in terms of physicality he maybe doesn't still have it to the same level as he once did because obviously he was really struggling to hold on at the bottom. But in terms of his pacing and his technique and um, how he approaches his racing, still got it. For sure. Do you think we'll see more wins from him before he hangs his coat up? I, I just feel like the other riders, in terms of like their strength... It's gonna. It's hard for him to match because it's it's an a fact that once you get beyond a certain age, your your strength and fitness uh, does drop off. You you can't if you start training at an older age, you can build that up. But if you've been at your peak and you get older, it does drop off. There's nothing you can do to stop that from happening. So I feel like every year he's going to lose a little bit of that. So can he make up for that with everything else with his bike set up with his mental fortitude and everything 
Yes, but I think it would take the other riders to make mistakes. I don't think the other riders in their primes um, would be beaten by Greg currently doing a really good run. Uh-huh. But then I, I still feel like a rider on a confidence high where they just get everything perfect can still pull loads of seconds out of um, a person, like all the other riders. Um, so like uh, thinking back to like Sam Hill where he would just have like hit everything just perfectly and then win by like eight seconds. That is still possible to do, but it's just, it's getting harder and harder. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So we went on from there to Lenzerheide, like back to back weekends, I think. So you were back on track mm-hmm. again. A lot of yep. people say that's a kind of a tricky track to mm-hmm. to deal with, quite loose, you know, yeah. you know, no traction offline. How did you get on with it? See, I was quite nervous about it because I, looking at it, like really steep hill, lots like big jumps and like, like you're saying, quite loose. And a lot of people have said it was a really tricky track to race. I, uh, I came in nervous and then rode it and was like, this is, this is mint and got down. I was like, yeah, it feels fine. And everyone's like, yeah, it's real loose and slippy though. I was like, feels fine to me. (laughs) (laughs) Quite like this, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, lots of big jumps and stuff, which, uh, um, I actually really enjoyed. I was a wee bit nervous about some of them because the speed you have to come into like that big step up and stuff. It's just not like anything I really get to ride at home. Uh, but yeah, no, really enjoyed it and, uh, was feeling the fitness kind of starting to come back as well. Um, and I benefited from having the break over Linzerheide as well, uh, over, uh, Valdesoli the yeah, previous yeah. weekend, cause I was feeling pretty rough that week after racing <laughs> bar and that. Uh, so no, I was really enjoying it and it was a really good track to figure out. Never ridden it before. I'd only ever been trackside before. So it was really fun seeing all the lines i'd seen people taking and then trying to do them and i was like oh i remember when i analyzed this six and this line was the fastest and i go to ride it and be like that's impossible <laughs> humbling <laughs> experience to ride that um so that was really cool there, there hasn't really been uh, another track that i've not previously ridden like i'd previously ridden marabar i'd previously ridden uh can't remember the other ones had done so it was like uh, the first track that i'd analyzed but never ridden before that i got to race which was really cool yeah did you feel like you knew it really well from the get-go then from spending that much time um, looking at it or did it I, still take I some focus, learning i focus a lot of time on uh specific sections when i'm doing track side so quite often i'll just run down the track with my camera past loads of sections and then i'll film uh like specific bits so there was still a lot to learn because every single little bit of the track you need to like figure something out on. So a lot of the main, I knew all the stuff that was coming, but maybe not some of the corners that kind of linked into them and stuff like that. Got so uh, I was definitely in a better standing than someone that had never been there before. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't too hard to learn. It only took me a, a few runs to kind of get get things figured out. Sweet. How did you feel about your qualifying run? In fact, well, so I just, I looked up your Maribor qualifying and you were in the eighties. Um, mm-hmm. Lenza Heide, you were 67th. Yeah. I was getting closer. Yeah. Getting close <laughs> to the bubble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did have a few mistakes. Um, nothing major, but it was just a bit playing things a bit too safe. Um, I kind of rode 
as fast as I could safely ride because um, I still was finding it things pretty tough and physical. Um, but yeah, it was. I got down. I was like, mm, that was all right, and then looked back and it was like, oh, not gonna make it. And then there was lots of other people there that uh, uh, who I thought were plenty fast enough who also didn't make it in. So it's it's, it's getting tough. It's tough to qualify. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the top top sixty is a fast bunch of guys. Mm. It's uh, yeah. There's plenty of people that can can do it on a, on a good day and maybe not do it on a slightly off day. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's challenging. On on from there then to snowshoe. Did you like? Did you feel like you needed to change anything from your mm. your approach or your process, or were you kind of happy with how it was all going? Yeah, I was I was quite happy that I was just progressing as the year went on. I was just getting a bit faster and really it was it was mainly a prep and fitness thing. Like I hadn't really ridden my bike much. So the first one was a struggle and then Lenzer Haida I was getting there and then by snowshoe I was feeling uh quite a bit better. Uh still non peak condition. Uh but I remember doing the uh preview run, first run down, and I got all the way to the bottom. I was like, yes. I wasn't too tired there. This is good. This this bodes well. And uh, I was really nervous about this track as well. Uh, from trackside filming, it looked hard, hard yeah. track. And especially when it rained, and we got very, very lucky that it was dry uh, for both rounds in snowshoe. So uh, it was a lot easier than it might have been. But yeah, so so rough. And carrying speed down the lower sections was an absolute mission but i'm quite big and heavy so i was feeling like i could i could keep things going on that track which was uh which was really good and it was really good fun yeah it's gonna ask cool place what's the key to getting that that lower rock section is there is there a timing element to it is it just commitment like what does it take to get through it there's never there's never a key in general it's depends on the person uh-huh. Um, like maybe a certain person might be making mistakes which is causing them to lose speed so the key for them is doing one thing or another but for me personally um, I sometimes get uh, distracted by specific things on the track like I'll be looking at specific points to hit and then my eyes linger and then by the time I've then looked up again I'm already in the wrong place going the wrong way and I had a, ve- a few very very close calls <laughs> um where i just rode into just like bike ending stuff <laughs> like, i was like right i need to get over this crest and that's the stone i need to aim for i came motoring in i went over the stone and then i looked up and i was like maybe about four degrees too much to the right and i just plowed into like these harsh edges and it was like dung, dung, like right to the rims and i only had one set of wheels with me i was like oh, oh no panic and uh, all the spectators were going, oh, because they didn't like. I went back and looked looked at it, and you shouldn't have been able to ride a bike through what I rode it through. So I was, I was quite happy I stayed okay. on my bike. Um, but luckily, I had uh, you know, my wheels survived. Shout out Santa Cruz Reserve wheels handled it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, for me, it was uh, that that looking up, not letting the eyes linger to just like one go the correct way and two like if you linger with your eyes down too much it encourages you encourages you to drag your brakes and try and slow things down 
because if you're looking really close to you, everything's coming at you too quick. So you want to slow it down so your brain can process it. So if I looked ahead, I would stay off the brakes and go the right way, which sounds really simple. It's really not. <laughs> it's yeah, really hard. Sure. Did you do much to the bike at all? I know people were messing around with all sorts of stuff to try and get the bikes to work well and kind of I'm not, get through those rocks. You can only really do that once you've gotten the bike to its maximum potential with you and your riding style. And that changes according to your weight, uh, how fit and strong you are. And uh, like maybe you've just got like a different damper in your fork or it's a newer model and the damper, the settings aren't quite the same. So it's like you can only do that messing around once you've done so much um, like prep work. So testing and working out the right setup for different conditions so you you've got everything to a place where the bike is working really good and then you can go right okay what testing have we done that's similar to this and we can tweak the settings to make it work better that that we already know about so i was writing down and just going we this is fun oh amazing great i'll do another run so i wasn't really thinking oh right i need to use those settings that i got from testing back in san remo or anything like that and my bike actually felt really good so pressures i tweaked pressures a little bit and uh tires um i was getting a little bit of tire squirm in a couple of the berms uh on the midsection when i was started going a lot faster mm-hmm. so up the pressure back in the back a bit in the back tire um and that was literally it the rest of it was just like uh preemptive maintenance so bleeding the brakes to keep them running good sticking fresh pad, pads in for race day so um because they were like half worn and i find uh, uh the lower the pads get the more unpredictable they get so get fresh ones in for race day and that was that was really it i didn't stress about it too much just had fun nice first time qualifying at world cup in was it like eight or nine years yeah quite a while must, that must have felt <laughs> awesome yeah it was pretty sick and uh i mean everything was in my favor in terms of not many people made it over to usa um so the field was a bit smaller and i felt like the track even though i hadn't ridden it before i felt like it did suit me quite well um and i remember uh, yeah in my first quality run i caught up my 30 second guy I think it was a guy from like Chile or something like that and there was a group of them and I think it was their first world cup and I caught him up in the lower rocks <laughs> and I wasn't very nice to him or maybe, or maybe other people would say I was nice but I, I was shouting at him for quite a while and they eventually pulled over and I can remember the bottom split I sprinted as hard as I could and I think I got the fifth fastest bottom split I was nice. like yeah that was that Ch- the Chilean guy <laughs> got me to qualify probably. So uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe I'd uh, qualified. Uh, and then I was like, right, okay, last practice day. Just got to take it easy and, you know, we'll do the race. And then I had this, the biggest crash I'd had all year, like in my first practice run, like four turns in washed out in some dust and then rattled my head and cracked my helmet and i was kind of thought that might be it over um but then i guess the way that i actually hit my head it damaged the helmet but my head was actually fine like i didn't really get dizzy or 
Um, I think in the video we put out, I said, oh, I lost my vision, but I might have been over-dramatizing a little bit. <laughs> I think I just closed my eyes because it was quite so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was fine. Uh, just battered and bruised. But, uh, yeah, then managed to get to race. And then the racing went pretty good as well. And yeah. I, I think I was very consistent. I think I was like 40th, 40th. 44th, 40th or something like yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. all qualities and races. That's got to feel good. 40th, 40th place in a World Cup these days is a hell of a result. Mm, yeah, I, 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 it is. I reckon a, a European World Cup, I would have been towards the back. I think there was a, there's a few European riders that would have beaten me that weren't there. But then equally, I didn't feel like I'd actually done my best runs like the first one the first race i went quite cautious and then the second race i actually made a couple of really big mistakes and then you do your classic like every competitor does and they go and watch watch back their gopro and they're like right so i made the mistake here and then i copy i got my practice footage and i was like right so if i time the practice footage from here to here it's like oh yeah i actually would have been about 29th so that's pretty good <laughs> 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 so it's like I, there was more potential there so I, I knew i was going fast enough to get a top 30 but then i made the mistakes and other people made mistakes and were behind me because of that so it's only a like a carrot dangling in front of me to show that's what i could be doing i just got to work towards that for next year good so that means you will be racing world cups in 2022 then well i hope so i've got 38 points so i don't actually have enough points to do so uh, but I have a way around that, so um, it should be fine. <laughs> Cunning. Well, let's yeah, let's talk a little bit about 2022 because I think most people will have seen that you're putting together a, a pink bike World Cup race team, right? We're trying. We are definitely trying. It's uh, it's going to be on the cards for the last two years since uh, we helped out Michaela and Jamie at the World Cups, and then everyone was like, "Oh, start a team." You should start a team. And we actually did try for the previous year. Um, but with COVID the way it was and with bike companies and the, the marketing teams being really unsure of kind of what racing was going to look like and things might get cancelled, we just weren't able to bring it all together in time. Um, but we've had a bit more time and getting things planned for next year. So... No contracts have been signed yet, but I'm talking with three riders, hoping to have a team of four, uh, including myself, um, and aiming to fill all the categories, if that makes sense. Okay. So one yep. rider in each category is yep. kind of what, what I'd like to do. Uh, it might not happen because, you know, nothing's signed. We're still negotiating and stuff. And the kind of ethos of the team is looking for the kind of either younger riders who don't have the support or even some maybe sleeper kind of elite riders that we feel have the potential but just haven't had the back end to kind of mm -hmm. do it and it's so hard <laughs> to actually find people like that because uh, you know people that are doing well or have the potential i mean most talent spotters and teams they they can spot that or people say oh yo check this person out they're really sick so most people actually do have the backing which is pretty cool 
Um, but there's definitely a few that we've been chatting to that I think have a lot of a potential. And the kind of main thing we're trying to do with the team is kind of set, not a standard, but like compensate people to like a decent level. Okay. Because like, uh, the, like the pink bike state, state of the sport thing that kind of came out last year, it was a bit shocking really. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I get it with passion sports. People just want to do the sport and they're just happy to get what they want. Like when I was younger, I was getting like trade price bikes and been absolutely buzzing on it. I was like, this is, this is the best thing ever. I was like, what, you're going to pay some of my expenses. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, so cool. So I, I, I can see the way that happens, but some of the discussions I've been having with uh, uh, riders and uh, a few agents that work with other riders is that some people are getting paid nothing for the yeah. amount of kind of work and uh, representation they they have for teams and brands. And they, they don't know. They don't know that they're getting paid nothing because no one talks about it. And I think it's like that the world over. No one really likes to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it and we're going to try and, I mean, we're not going to pay people ridiculous amounts of money, but what we feel is a living wage Mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, So I don't want to big it up too much and then everyone to go, oh, they're only paying them. (laughs) That's shocking. Get paid more than that to go and work at McDonald's. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. We're we're trying to do that, and the main goal I personally have with the team is I want to find some riders that I can really progress. Um, so they might come in in first year, they might not be you know setting the world on fire, but uh, we're wanting to do two year contracts for each rider, so that we uh, you know put a decent amount of work in with them and really uh, give them a good good chance because I think it kind of sucks if you get a rider on and they're really nervous about it. They maybe don't quite perform and to get into like a getting themselves worked up feedback loop of not performing and crashing or injure themselves. And then you're like, right, okay, see you later. Good, good effort. So we wanted that security of a two year deal so they can just chill about it. It's like, there's no stress. You've got a contract for next year. Let's just have fun, work on, work on the racing and see, see where we can take you. Yeah, that's an awesome project, man. What kind of scale will it be then? Like, how how are you turning up in like a specialized Gravity Republic bus with like forty staff, or an easy up with like you and maybe one mechanic for all four of you? Where where are you pitching it? So maybe in the future it'll grow, but we're starting small um, or smaller. Um, so. I'm actually just planning this all right now and like budgets aren't even fully confirmed. So I've got about three different budgets according to what we might have available, but it'll be uh, multiple easy ups with uh, just one main van for transporting everything out and another van for um, riders and other spares and stuff. And uh, hopefully we're trying to work out that we can fly, fly the athletes out because driving out is, a little bit of a drain on on the body and everything we're, just, we're, we're trying to work out the best way of doing it all and then um mechanic for each of the other riders uh-huh. i'm just gonna steal the other mechanics when i can because the team <laughs> the team is about them i'm just an old guy that's trying to li- live his dreams <laughs> through some other riders 
So uh, mechanics for them. I'll save a bit of budget by me just wrenching on my own bike. And then uh, I'm trying to get someone to do uh, a bit of physio and potentially um, like food for the team. Uh-huh. Um, but we're still working out what's available. But if, I mean, if anyone's listening, they're like, oh, I can squish muscles and make food. So yeah, <laughs> so, <touch>. <laughs> um, so every, everything I feel like the riders are going to need um, to perform at a decent level. Because um, we, we we could go massive, but then we just blow all the budget and all the all the equipment, and then have nothing to really support the riders. So yeah. there's going to be enough there for them to race and be comfortable. Um, but it's not going to be flashy for the first few years. Fair enough. And are you going to be team manager or just a rider? Like, how do you see that working out? So, um, just found out something recently is that the team manager official team manager like on the uci application thing is not allowed to actually be a writer apparently i haven't actually seen this written in a rule but i was told this by someone else and uh i was like well that means we need to employ a manager (laughs) so i'm currently trying to convince them to employ my wife (laughs) as a manager (laughs) so she'd just be as the title you know, team manager, and then she can hopefully work doing uh, the kind of logistics for the team. So booking hotels, figuring out who's going where, sorting uh-huh. flights, all the planning, and uh, take the load off of me a little bit. And then I'll just be the on-site kind of team dad, I guess. Wicked. Team dad slash line guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Happy days. Well, yeah, I can't think of a much better person to have in your corner, right? You yeah, know, well, You know I'll, these tracks inside out. I'll definitely try. They might disagree with me, though. You know, what, you know what kids are like. <laughs> awesome. So, when are we likely to see kind of a launch for that? Have you got a feeling for when it's all likely to come together? Couldn't tell you. Um, okay. I mean, the, the the sneaky ones will know about the the team deadline for the UCI, and yeah. that the team lists will be out. So, if it has all come together, that will be online somewhere. But as far as the team launch. Probably not close till start of season because we're going to hopefully do a full like documentary sort of series of the team, uh-huh. um, and we might we should hopefully start filming in the new year, but we won't release stuff until closer to the season. Got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Ah, oh, interesting. So there'll be a whole load of content that comes with it, not just the people at the races, but something mm-hmm. for us to watch and follow mm-hmm. how they all get along. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, we're, it's pretty much the same or similar plan that we had for when I started racing. Um, but then we discovered that having one rider was a big issue. Because <laughs> when yeah. they break their neck, there's no series anymore. So <laughs> let's get more tricky. riders. That's what. That's the main reason we started a team. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Now, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes together. Mm-hmm. Same, and, really uh, excited. Yeah, as well as the racing this year, you've uh, you've been busy on the video side. You put together the How to Bike video series, which I have to say, having watched the whole lot of it fairly recently, is really, really good. Nice work. Thank you. Um, I learned a huge amount, and I think I'd be surprised if anyone could watch it and not take something away from it. What, what was it like doing that? Because obviously you've been coaching real-life people for ages, but putting mm-hmm. it together into a series of videos, how was it? Um, I'd had the plan in my head for years 
um because i was wanting to make a proper high-end detailed series um on my own uh, youtube channel and it just never got i never found the time and funding to really do it and then uh brian the editor chief editor at pink bike was asking if I wanted to do some coaching videos. I was like, no, I've got this big plan. I'm going to do videos. This is before I was employed by them. I was just doing the occasional video for them. I was like, no, I'm going to do it on my own channel. Like maybe I could do you some little ones and we kind of put it off. And he kept nudging me and asking me. I was like, oh, it'd be really cool. Do some coaching videos. And then uh, we got to the year when I wasn't racing World Cups. And he was like, you know, the sponsors are going to really want something. Maybe you could do those coaching <laughs> videos that you've been talking about. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm probably never going to end up doing it on my own channel. So yeah, let's do it. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd had the episodes, like episodes and everything, all planned out prior to actually doing it. And uh, the first ones all came together like really easily because it's what I was coaching day in day out. Like you 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 get a rider, the first things you do, you, your body positioning and how you're moving the bike and where you're braking and all that kind of stuff. And it was just really easy to do i found but then it got way harder towards the end where we started the line choice and i was like right how do you explain <laughs> line choice so like, i don't even know i know how to kind of like keep my eyes open and like find creative lines but then why would that creative line actually be better and it was such a head scratcher to try and figure out and then same for the well the drops once okay, was okay because i I've done a lot of drops uh, teaching before, but then the jumps one, um, that one was so hard, so hard. It took me two weeks to kind of get a script together. And then we got there and I realized it wasn't, it was rubbish. It was terrible. So we recorded all the riding, most of the script. And then I came back home and I decided I was going to edit this one. I had a sleeper co working on all the previous ones so max rendell was editing all of them who's excellent writer and he he understood all the concepts which is why the videos have actually he's one of the main reasons they've been so good um but i decided i was going to edit this one uh, so then i could edit stuff watch all the videos back in slow more then try different bits of voiceover i was like does that make sense i get my wife to watch it and i was like do you understand that and she was like no I'm like, right okay i'll explain it all again and then it was like another two and a half weeks of just faffing about with this video, oh. like trying to get it to make sense. I think it does. Look forward <laughs> I think to it. it makes sense. So I've just like, I, I think I've got, I've got a brain that works quite well for all this kind of stuff. I'm quite logical and I kind of feel like I can explain most things. Um, and it seems to be working because it seems that most people are kind of understanding what I'm trying to convey. And yeah, I'm just really happy with how they've gone so far. Um, yeah, have you had now, good good response back from people? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like I going through all the comments and stuff. Like people are, there's not been many questions, and if there has been, there's been a wee bit of debating, and then it turns out that there's just different ways of explaining things, um, and. Yeah, it just means I've got to make more videos, I think. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that really impressed me was uh, your ability to do it all wrong. 
if that makes sense. Like you, you've you've filmed all of the mistakes and fair play, you're pretty committed to some sketchy moves. Oh, dude, I had some bad crashes actually. Not surprised. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I I've always been quite a fan of goon riding. Yeah, you know where you purposely ride as bad as possible. Like if if anyone wants to see the epitome of that, that's search for a Ronnie Mac rides a mountain bike. And that's me and my friend dressed as some hillbilly riding a, riding a mountain bike really badly. I've always loved doing that. So I think I've actually taught myself how to ride bad quite well. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard and it's really yeah. dangerous. But we were like, um, we need to show what happens when you make the mistake. So we started off trawling through the pink bike archives, like the video archives to try and find video clips to uh, match up. But uh, people don't title their videos well enough. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be searching for um, <laughs> uh, English bunny hop drop case. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not really getting me what I need. <laughs> Gotta go out and do it. No. So yeah, it was quite fun doing doing that stuff. Quite it looks like it. you had fun with the whole series, to be fair. Like there's a good sense of humor running through the whole thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I think it makes maybe not makes the series but it adds another another element to it that, that there was a lot of piss taking going on a lot of a lot of laughing uh, it was glenn thompson and max randall that were doing the filming with me and they're a good good bunch of boys so it was it was good fun yeah and is that something that has like a fixed end to it or do you think you'll continue and maybe like advancing it and doing more and more yeah. stuff yeah I've, I've planned out three years so far um so like this first season was like the the very very core skills like the way i see biking is that uh you position yourself on the bike you move the bike underneath you to follow the terrain you pump the bike into the ground to generate grip and speed you brake in certain places to control your speed you pick lines you look in certain places to help your mind and body like prepare for what's coming and uh, those are like the main controls that you have in the bike. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what you can do on a bike. So I was trying to explain how all the things you can do kind of affect uh, what happens when you're riding a bike so that the viewer should hopefully have an understanding of either what change they can make and what it will do, or if something goes wrong, they can kind of figure out why was, was, was my, my goal. Yeah. So it's the what you do, when you do it, how you do it, why you do it kind of thing. Um, and I kind of had this like list when I was next to me when I was writing out the scripts. It's like, right, I've done how, now what, and then why, and then just trying to keep that theme like running the whole way through. Um, and yeah, I've uh, done the kind of the core skills and then I can get a little bit more granular as okay. uh, things Kind of go on so i've explained the basics of cornering but if i want to get into a bit more specifics i can like we can do stuff on bermed corners or supported corners or we could focus more on uh, corners that don't have as much grip or you have to use the more advanced techniques and you can just get yeah a little bit more granular with it i i, I worry that it's going to get a bit like what all the other kind of mountain bike uh video kind of places do where it's like oh how to ride routes and it's like uh, 
<laughs> it's like, yeah, I, know yeah, I don't want it to get stale yeah. and rubbish. I would only revisit stuff if I felt like I had a new way of explaining it or a new understanding of it. So, yeah, we're going to get more granular, f- focus on some slightly different things or fringe topics or um, like techniques that are maybe out with the kind of your your standard things like, oh, if you get off balance and you need to like hop the bike sideways or something, like, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking on my feet here. But the first three seasons are more granular stuff. And then we also want to do a season of uh, teaching someone the concepts from all the previous videos. Yeah. So finding someone that's not very good and then, well, maybe they're okay. And then improving everything by teaching everything that we've uh, tried to teach everyone at home. Nice. Cool, man. That's good stuff. It's it's an awesome series. People should definitely check that out. It's some useful stuff for sure. Um, So you've been at all the World Cups this year. You've raced a good few of them as well. How do you think it's doing as a series? Is it healthy? Are the tracks good? Like that's a that's a loaded question. Of <laughs> um, I think it's been hard to tell because of COVID um, and the lockdowns and people not being able to travel. Um, it's definitely added a. like a tinge to the to all sporting events because i think everyone's sort of feeling like should we be doing this right now is this irresponsible but it's yeah hard to tell in terms of of that but in terms of actually like how it's all being run and everything um and how it's kind of going it's not really changed a whole lot and the rules haven't really changed a whole lot in the last three years but i see the series getting a bit more focused and i imagine like the amount of riders qualifying will get reduced um because it it makes sense to me from like an organizer's perspective and what they want it to be that you want it to just be the top of the top which I obviously don't want it to do. <laughs> like, I think it's such an awesome and unique thing that people can go to the best race in the world, the biggest race in the world, and race against the top guys. But you just can't imagine turning up and racing against Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Yeah, It's like, of course that's not going to happen. But then maybe that's why i like it so much yeah for a for an average viewer who watched the live feed if those other 40 riders weren't there would it change things and i I don't think it would even though it would kill the sport as we know it if Mm. you know what i mean yeah yeah. it would still be a sick thing as as a viewing spectacle it's like oh tune in we're gonna see how the guys are gonna get on this weekend it's top 25 racers in the world mint let's let's see that but then there would need to be that whole thing where you know, a series to funnel into. There would need to be another worldwide series that of like big um, events that are open to everyone. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if there's the the volume of riders to make it happen. So I said, I don't know. I, I think the series as it is, is still 
going really good. Um, and the kind of the rules and how many people can race. I, I really like it as it is. And I think it lets people come up through the sport. Like uh, to Hoto from New Zealand was getting some amazing results. And then uh, uh, there was a few other riders that really stood out, but I can't think of them right now. But then in terms of the tracks that you mentioned, I was loving it because I hadn't ridden the tracks in ages. <laughs> like this is meant loving it, but definitely some tracks are getting tired. And uh, it would be nice to have things mixed up. And then I hate to refer to Formula One again, but you know, look at them. They're going back and race the same tracks that they've been racing for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it's as a viewer, it's still sick. So it's, I think it's, the tracks thing is a rider issue rather than a spectator issue. If people are getting bored of the tracks, then it would be nice if it changed up a little bit but i think as mountain bikers we are spoiled by tracks always changing and being varied and having so many places to ride and there's so many tracks around the world whereas in other sports there's not true so i don't know i am kind of rambling a little bit here i do this (laughs) no it's interesting i've not heard anyone with that take on it that there's Mm. but yeah i think it's fair it does feel like there's an an interest within the organization from what I've heard to make it even more elite than it currently is, mm-hmm. which I get like you say. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it would be a shame to lose that. Like you just wouldn't have the whole privateer thing just wouldn't exist. Would it? I no. don't think. And yeah, not, not big the part, yeah, big part of the scene. So yeah, it'd be a shame for sure. It's, it's a kind of a chicken and the egg thing. It's like, what would come first? Would they cut the rider quota and then a series would then develop on the back of that or can a series develop a worldwide series that's not the world cups before that happens or does it you know yeah yeah. how does it work can one exist without the other i don't know interesting yeah fair play but yeah i mean it's it's been a cool season snowshoe must have been a pretty wild place to be for those last couple of races i don't think anyone was uh getting their predictions right for that huh no (laughs) no (laughs) what was it like on the ground yeah uh, the people there are lovely as well um like i can remember we we just arrived and went in to get some dinner and then we just got beers bought for us from some randoms and they're like yo oh i love your videos get you a beer i'm like okay sweet nice (laughs) like just amazing amazing people and you couldn't on the chairlift on the way up you just get people heckling you and shouting (laughs) and stuff and I, i felt quite bad at a few points because i'll be like on the chairlift with like amazing rider like i think mark wallace was sat next to me and then people were just going yo cathro it's like <laughs> mark mark's sat right here cheer for him but yeah i've just been really fortunate that i've been the face of world cups for the biggest website it's been pretty cool it's taken me to some interesting places and hopefully a few more yeah, it will for sure. Any thoughts on what happened to Miriam Nicole? I've been, I've asked a few people this, but that was a very strange incident. Yeah, freak, freak incident. She, she doesn't know. She has no explanation for it. Um. Oh well, she said that maybe she just looked up a little bit too late, or she was pedaling so hard that by the time she looked up, she was a little bit offline. But happens. It's yeah. She'll be kicking herself the rest of her life. It's one of those things. Um, 
like what what can you say like oh yeah she, oh she should have pedaled one pedal stroke less she should have not been three inches to the left <laughs> she turned in there it's like there was no specific reason it was a mistake and it just just so happened it turned out to be a costly one she might have just tucked her front a wee bit and cracked on yeah just one of those things yeah sad to see she was on fire well mm-hmm. season really but uh yeah so standout standout performances from 2021 like are there any other than minar's world champs win which is clearly a standout but anything that really just made you go wow um let me think I'll admit, like in the last year since having the kid, I feel like my brain has been emptied of facts <laughs> and stats. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> um, hmm. I think Isabella Yankova really impressed me with her results towards the end of the year. Like really, really good times, even comparing against the elites. And uh, really confident on everything on the tracks like she was leading uh uh, valley through a lot of the gnarly gaps um just because she was like super comfortable with it all so i'll be excited to see i think it'll be similar to what we were doing everyone was being sad and doing with the valley where they were comparing her times to the elites i think we'll be doing a bit of that next year um and jackson goldston uh, I would say really impressed as well. Like coming in, everyone, everyone knew about Jackson. It's like, oh, the kid who can do sick whips. And you just don't know if that's going to translate to World Cup racing. Like riding good and Whistler isn't the same as racing a World Cup. And the fact that he then came out and then just started killing it at the World Cups consistently was really impressive. I remember we were we were stressing about whether we were going to include him in the first uh, who to watch out for video at the first round of the World Cup for Pink Bike. And we're like, no, let's just, you know, give him the time to get a race in. Don't want to start telling everyone to watch out for him and then he caves and <laughs> like has a nightmare. <laughs> we'll just let, let him ease into it. And he, yeah, just killed it. Um, and yeah, those are the main ones that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because I knew I was starting the team, I was keeping a close eye on the junior. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and any danger men or women for 2022 hmm. in the elite fields? Like, who do you think we might see taking their first wins maybe or challenging Dakota for overalls? Norton. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Solid, cool. He he was looking so comfortable and quick towards the end of the year. And he, he, got, he really improved through the year, I felt, I felt this year. And uh, I mean, because he's, he's not been racing downhill for a crazy amount of time was it maybe five years yeah not long something like that and he came from bmx i I feel like he's really starting to find his feet now and he's definitely definitely podiums potentially potentially a win um women's is a harder one you would you would say it'd be the the classics though i feel like they've got it sewn up with valley Miriam, um, I don't know if anyone's gonna suddenly jump up. I can't see it unless I'm missing someone. Yeah, Nina was looking pretty good once she got over that injury early in the season. Like she seemed to mm-hmm. be, she seems yeah, very, true. very strong on the bike and very yep. confident. So, be interesting yep. to see if that pace continues to develop. 
Yeah, I Nina's an interesting one. She's absolutely got the strength and speed, but maybe not quite got the technique kind of dialed so that she she makes little mistakes and then um cause causes her to lose time or have big uh-huh. crashes. So if she works on her technique, which she she has been doing, I reckon, yeah. Could be a really good one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if the injuries are all healed up, because she did have a few nagging ones. Yeah, for sure. And then Benoit Coulange, maybe he's uh, shown what he's capable of this season, but yeah, hasn't quite right. quite too taken right. the win yeah, yet. He had it was unbelievable. He's a he's a perfect example of someone that just when everything falls together, everything lines up, and it just all starts happening. Like because he's been at it for ages, ages. Like uh, he was always the uh, the dude who would throw big Euro tables. And uh, kind of mid-pack. And he's just worked his way up, worked his way up. So cool. Yeah, and a yeah. pretty early start if everything goes to plan, right? We're in Lords late March, is it? Yeah, yeah, really early. And then a huge gap, Yeah, which is playing havoc with my, my team planning. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah, how important is it to kind of get that first race done well? Like riders seem to carry momentum, I guess, and it, that's that's the place to start building it, right? I mean, I wouldn't pretend to know how how important it is. It's yeah, it's not really quantifiable, but it would be very nice to turn up and then everyone have a really good event. But there's a big old gap to kind of settle down and then crack on with round two. I think it's like a month and a half, almost two months yeah, between yeah. round one and two. But uh yeah, never been to Lourdes either, not even trackside, so I'm excited for that one. Ah, wicked. Good mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, it's a big season, hey? Eight rounds and, mm-hmm. uh, and world champs. World champs in Leger. As yep. line guy, you must be pretty happy about that. It looked like there was plenty of choice. Yep. Yeah, that was that was sick. Although it's, I feel like it's going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to try and do the, the trackside videos again. Um, but if I've got riders racing it, I'm going to be wanting to focus my time on helping them. So it's it's going to be an interesting year for me trying to figure out the whole racing, being team dad, and also doing the videos. So it's going to be <laughs> going to be a wild year. <laughs> You're going to be a busy man. Uh, can't wait. Good stuff, man. Well, we should we should wrap it up and uh, let you get off to bed. But if people want to keep up to speed with what you're up to over the year, where's the best place for them to look? So, um. Pink bike mainly, but uh, yeah, my socials I'm most active on Instagram at Ben underscore Cathro. And yeah, I've not been on there recently though because I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, we look forward to seeing the team roll out when it's ready. And uh, yeah, it sounds like a wicked project. I hope it all goes well. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing all the content that you put out there and your race results and how it all goes through 2022. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Nice one. Cheers, mate. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Ben. I really hope you enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to Kotick, a brand that not only makes great bikes, but are also doing good things for our sport and for the planet in general. Their customer focus means that they've adapted to all the supply chain disruption by offering rolling chassis builds and offering to swap out components with stuff that you might already have. It really is your bike built for you. So if you want a new bike, they'll do everything they can to help you make it happen. 
You can check them out over at cotic.co.uk or give them a call and talk to an actual person about your dream build. Also, a massive thanks to The Strength Factory. If you live a busy life but are looking to make sustainable gains in your fitness this year, then their Over 40s mountain bike program is for you. The program is written so that you can do it in a gym, but you can also do it at home with just a few resistance bands. So whatever life throws at us in 2022, you can keep going and be in the best possible condition when the dry trails return. So if you want to be better this year, then head over to thestrengthfactory.uk now and check it out. That's thestrengthfactory.uk. If you like print and want a quality mountain bike product in your life, then the brand new biannual downtime EP is the one for you. It's a collab with the awesome team over at Miss Spent Summers. So if you've ever read Hurley Burley, The World Stage, Spent or Meltdown, then you'll know just how good Downtime EP is. Head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now and grab a copy of issue one. Also, my full range of merch is ready to go over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All the proceeds will go to help improve the podcast. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you've got a little bit of time, there's a few things you can do to help out. First off, make sure you spread the word and tell your rider mates about the podcast. The more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Secondly, share the episodes on your social media. It's an awesome way to spread the word and it helps get some buzz going around the episodes too. And if you fancy it, a review on Apple Podcasts is still really helpful. All right, we're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 